and welcome to episode 91 of The Brand Lounge, the place for unfiltered conversations on big topics for small businesses. I'm Tammy Heels, founder of Shadowcat Creative, where I'm a personal brand and marketing consultant, and I show service-based businesses how to define and grow their business through their brand. And today I am joined by Jan Cavell, author, entrepreneur, speaker, and writer of her book, Scale for Success. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jan. I mean, it's my pleasure to be here. How exciting. And today, listeners, Jan and I are talking about scaling in business and more importantly, how to plan your business so it can scale easily, efficiently and effectively. Love a bit of alliteration there. Something that I've come across time and again, particularly with small and independent business owners that I work with, that they don't tend to think too much about scaling in the future. They're very much based in the present They're usually personal brands or even consider themselves too small or too independent or just uncertain about where they want their business to go in order to really start considering scaling. It feels like a future problem for them. So Jan, let's dive right on in. And could you share why it is so important to consider how your business will scale and to start planning for that early on? Absolutely, Tammy. I would love to. I think, you know, this is partly based from my own experience because I drifted into scaling because I didn't have an original plan to. And I've also seen lots and lots of other entrepreneurs do the same. You know, we're told growth is great and growth is big. So we go into starting up our businesses and we go looking for more orders all the time. And if things go well, we get more and more orders. And the next thing we know, we're starting to be into the zone of what's called scaling with no preparation, no knowledge of what we're doing. And curiously enough, we run into all sorts of trouble doing it. You know, it's a very different ballgame, scaling. Startups are hard, but scale-ups are hard in a different way. And a different way is what there is. And I think people don't realise that you're transforming from a toddler into a grown-up, if you like. And, and, you know, like all these things, that big change needs a different set of skills. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting what you were saying there because something that I have experienced, because now I run two businesses and my second business, I'm running very, very differently as a startup compared to how I started with my initial one because I think my initial one was exactly what you were saying there and it's kind of you are told over and over again that growth is important you need to be growth focused you need to be looking at how you're going to grow your business you as an individual obviously you want your business to be a success in whatever way you measure that version of success for you but you don't ever think about what you're going to do when that success comes and it's like how do you actually Okay, so you want to be fully booked out, but what does that look like? How do you manage that? How are you going to add that on top of all of the other hats and things that you're doing at the moment to get those clients? And I'd be really curious on your take on this because I feel almost like when we when we achieve the success that we're not prepped for, it perpetuates that feast-famine cycle because we're so busy dealing with the success that we've brought on ourselves that we don't put the time in to work out what to do after those clients have kind of moved on to the next thing. That's such a good point, Tammy. And I don't think people who haven't 
fallen into this trap like you and I have, you know, really appreciate that point. But it's so true because there you are. You've got lots more orders and everything's hunky-dory and you seem to all and sundry to be terribly successful. But there are so many knock-on effects. They don't see the cash flow that your orders have gone sky high and you haven't planned for it, so your cash flow's out the window. They don't see the fact that you're spending most of your sleeping hours trying to recruit because you need 10 more people or whatever, and you haven't planned it out. And what's worse is you panic hard and you've taken on a couple of disasters and they're busy destroying your business on the quiet. So you're spending huge amounts of time on that. And, you know, then there's the actual servicing of the orders. You know, they've come in so fast. Are you geared to get them out the door, be it servicing clients in in a literal goods way or services way? But, you know, you'll be trying to make up a shortfall. And because at that time, you can't personally do it anymore. When we're a startup, you know, it's great. We work till midnight. Whatever it takes, we get it done. And, you know, you sort of get into the mindset that that's the way to go. You can always dig yourself out of trouble. And actually, when you start to scale and you get to a bigger size, you haven't got the hours in the day to work five people's worth of 24 hours a day. You just can't do it. So lots and lots of things. I think also people often forget that their version, whatever their version of success is, I generally, and this is a sweeping generalization and a big assumption, I'm going to assume that your version of success is not working more hours and feeling super stressed. I kind of imagine that most, whether it's money or freedom or time, whatever it is that you're trying to you're, you're doing your business and you're aiming for none of those things are going to be supported if you don't have it set up and it's something exactly like you said I, I would love to hear kind of your experience of this a little bit as well because for me with my first business um shadow cat which I still run as a brand consultancy and as a personal brand I never considered how that would scale because I didn't want to lose the fact that it was me in my business. People were choosing to work with me. So I couldn't possibly work with anyone else within the business because there's no way that that would, no one else thinks like the way that I do, which is true. You know, personal brand is a very strong point, but I had never considered how my business could work. Like when the pandemic hit or if I got sick or God forbid, I wanted a day off and I, grew my business for like (laughs) I know how terrible but for four years I grew my business and it grew very limitedly because the ways that I could grow were either take on fewer clients at a higher price point or take on more clients at a lower price point and just work more like there wasn't really much wiggle room in that it was still going to be quite restricted whereas with my with my new business podcasts like with that one I'm literally everything I'm doing I'm trying to set up so that if I wasn't involved how would this work and that has been great from a startup perspective because it means that where I'm trying to keep costs down on certain areas I can identify where my skills will fulfill the role as opposed to building the business around my skills and that's been a really important flip for me is just it I'm not building the business around me I'm building the business and then identifying where I could fulfill certain roles within that business temporarily until I can find someone else to bring on it. 
So what's your experience when it comes to skating? I'm going to assume from something that you said before that you have also fallen trapped to the not planning side. So can you share <laughs> a little bit around what your experience is like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, if somebody had asked me, I wouldn't have known what it was meant, meant by scaling the business, you know. And I was a very ignorant and accidental entrepreneur, it must be said. And so, you know... <laughs> Uh, just on my own and with a little bit of subcontracting and then I got two people and lasted about six years like that and we we knew each other very well and you know we just worked when we needed to very very hard and you know went for pub when we didn't need to and it was all very you know casual and fun and by chance um, I was dealing in furniture and the company that was supplying us with furniture the guy decided to pack up uh, as of the day he made the decision, literally, just ran and said, sorry, no more furniture. And in a panic, I said, well, you know, uh, how about we come to a deal and, and I take over your company? I'm quite wild. I mean, that was real panic and, you know, madness, entrepreneurial madness. Luckily, it was only a little company. But even so, he, I also think it's exactly what he was aiming for, too. So I suspect he prodded me subconsciously. And so the combination of the two, you know, we struck a deal over a cup of tea in half an hour. So that's <laughs> two little businesses. <laughs> and, you know, when you do that, that sounds fun. But, of course, they were geographically at a distance from each other. I had young kids, so I was on school runs, you know, and the parking tickets, you know, speeding tickets started to mount. Oh, dear. <laughs> you know, I was thinking I'd go out of business on those alone in a minute. And, uh, you know, I was just always rushing and it was just so impractical. And so for me, scaling became about because from that, I had another jolly idea. I was full of jolly ideas, no idea how to fulfill them, which is why I'm a perfect example of don't do what I did. But I thought, must put this all under one roof. Then, you know, I won't be whisking around anymore. And there won't be huge costs involved getting things from A to B. So I'll look for a unit. Well, you know, curiously enough, people owning units weren't exactly leaping out for woodwork to take me on because I didn't have the track record. And finally, the one I found was seemingly way, way too big for us. But, you know, he'd offered me a lease, so I thought, great, I'll sign up. And with no knowledge of how to kit a factory out, I just thought it was like moving house. You know, there was no problem, but it wasn't, curiously enough. Suddenly I had four people earning from me and quite large sums by that time and this huge great lease 10 years I'd signed up and you know so absolute mad panic and the only way to dig myself out of a hole was to grow it I could see that you know I thought more sales more business all troubles but it wasn't exactly planned no it was pretty nuts so I mean and plus I'd come from a sales background so my default mental position tends to be when in trouble, sell more. <laughs> so I'm curious to know, at what point did you realise that planning and scaling was more important? And then did you experience that within the same business or a new business? Did you implement the planning stage first and really see the difference? I, I tried desperately hard. I mean, we did it again because that's, that went very fast and very well. And we soon needed actually a second factory unit. 
And so all of a sudden, um, you know, up from that four staff, I was up to 40 or 43, I think it was, <laughs> you know, uh, by which time it was really chaotic. I was far fighting crazily. And, you know, we stayed there for, for a long, long while. I mean, about 10, 10 15 years. But, it, you know, it was always a nightmare. Uh, and it just got worse over time. I actually, uh, if we're talking sort of moments, I decided some 12, 14 years in, but maybe I'd better go and learn something about business because I'm quick like that. And so I took myself off to a, a very high-powered entrepreneurial place in London, which I joined and went on scaling courses, which was great. And I learned huge amounts. But of course, I'd, I went back and I'd look at my business and I'd go, oh, that's all wrong. I've got to redo all that. No, I understand. But actually, it's incredibly hard to go backwards. You know, once you've set something up, it's like building a house. If you've built it on shaky foundations, it's really, really hard to stabilize it. Interestingly, in my book, I talked to a friend of mine and she had the same issue when she scaled. She went, you know, it all came at her, you know, up they went, everything looked jolly. And she, they helped with mid feet and unpick it, they, you know, and simply shrink back till they put all the organization and the systems and the right people planning and the right cash planning in place because it, it, it's just not possible to do like that unless you do, I don't think, or rarely, let's not say it, impossible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're going we're gonna to look through this a little bit and break it down a little bit for different businesses at different stages. So if there are any listeners out there now who are like, oh no, I've never planned, I don't know how to do this, like fear not, we're going to cover this in a little bit. So bear with, we're just going to talk a little bit more around scaling. Um, From what we've talked about so far, and from both our experiences as well, and obviously this being your area of expertise, when it comes to identifying scaling, there's a really interesting question that um, I saw pop up on your speaker pitch, which was around whether all businesses and entrepreneurs are ripe for growth. And I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit around that because it seemed like a really interesting topic just to kind of dive into a little bit and what you meant with that kind of point. Definitely. And I think you touched on it yourself, actually, by saying your first business was so reliant on you, because that's a big part of it. Uh, If you've got a business that is very, 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 very reliant on your skill set, which is often how we we start, it wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really usual way to start. It's your strength is this, and you're going to flog this. And that's okay. But, you know, how are you going to scale that? means getting people who are as skilled as you, plus getting your clients to think, okay, I'm just as happy dealing with, you know, her new guy, Fred, or whatever, than I was with her. And that transference is very, very tough. I, I certainly had that, again, being strong in sales. You know, my customers wanted me to deal with them. They didn't want anybody else to deal with them. Um, and that went for everything, you know. So I think I think there's two things. I think you know it's can you double up a skill set and can you transfer your customers, which is doable, but don't underestimate it, you know. And I think the other thing is what I was busy flogging was, as I say, furniture, and it was a lot of it was um, not all of it, but a lot of it was custom made 
And if you're doing something that is very individual or very skilled, two things there actually, skills reliant and individual, hand done. You know, you can't just churn out 10 more by a machine. That means 10 more people. So you've got to look if if what you're producing is actually duplicatable, did manage to say it, uh, you know, in quantities, um, you know, be it from a skills point of view or just a plain volume point of view. If you're an artist, the chances are you can't paint an oil painting 10 times over, but you might be able to do a series of lithographs. It's the same sort of principle there. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point as well, because when it comes to scaling, I think that there's a misconception that scaling means you all of a sudden employ more people and you grow your business that way. But I think that there are actually multiple ways that you can scale a business depending on the type of business that it is, the type of clients that you want to have and the type of business that you want to you want to have. So I again it's that whole something that I always seem to come back to is what do you want to achieve out of this? What do you want your business to do? What do you want your business to afford you? whether that's financially, freedom, time, whatever it is, what is it that you're aiming for? And then what would be the best option or the best business structure that would support you with that? Because if it's money, you might need to consider scaling by upping your prices and looking at the way that you're producing the products and maybe have minimal additional members of the team, whether that's outsourced or employed, so that they can take the brunt off of it. So you've got more time, but also you're producing a higher value item so that you're scaling from a financial side. Whereas if time is more of your thing, then you're going to want to maybe consider employing more people to help in more skill-based roles so that you've got that time back to step away. So in your experience, how easy is it to kind of identify which direction you need to go when you're scaling and do you feel that there is a cutoff point where you're like this is the point where you have to make a decision on which direction you want to scale your business Uh, that's an interesting second question (laughs) uh, let me go back to the first one uh I think, you know, I think you you must do your your clients a great service in making them really think about this because it's something that saddens me that we're so obsessed by encouraging people to grow because it must be right, it must be good. And we've discussed it doesn't always suit the right business, it suits every business. Plus, it doesn't suit every person. It may not be the right way to go financially or everything else, lifestyle-wise, or all sorts of things. You know, it isn't always good, you know, and for example, financially, I made the most money when we were about 12 to 15 people. By the time we got up into the 40s, because part not least because I didn't know enough, but also because expenses go up with management and things as you grow. If you don't understand and build that in, you know, your finances and your profits are wrecked. You know, so actually the profits went right out the window by growing more. It's not guaranteed at all. So even if it's money you're after, it isn't necessarily as simple as that to get it just by times turning what you're doing already. And I think that's a big misconception that a lot of people have. And I think you're very right in saying, you know, if it's a certain amount of money you want, why not look at your percentages? Why not think? 
how much extra I'd go by putting my prices up 10%, my costs by 5%. You know, those sort of figures can make life-changing amounts of, of, of change to your income. You know, so I think that's really important to, to look at. And the whole sort of what's in it for you question was something I really wanted to explore when I wrote my book. And I asked everybody I chatted to, you know, who were all people who'd done, who'd done it, who had scaled, you know, what success meant to them. And for pretty well none of them, it was the money. It was simply the free getting back that freedom of time, the ability to make choices in life about what they did. A few of them had scaled for a set period, knowing they were aiming to get out after a certain number of years with the plan to have a wonderful life thereafter. I think endless scaling is just almost unsustainable in itself, unless unless you're going to bring in outside skills and hand over to a CEO who's got experience in scaling to the point of you know, float or, or whatever, but, but just drifting endlessly in, in scale is going to end in disaster and burnout too. That's a really interesting, that's a really interesting point that I hadn't considered before because, yeah, I mean, is there a limit to the way that you scale? I would always, I would always say that there isn't a limit to scaling, but it is dependent on what it is that you want to achieve out of it. If you want to be the next like Bill Gates or... Why not? Yeah, exactly. There's no reason why your business can't scale to the point where it is like a global empire. Like there is literally no reason why it can't. There are hundreds of businesses that we use every day across the world that started as someone in their garage. But again, this is another topic that I'd love to explore another time (laughs) rather than on this episode, which is like, how do you decide when your small business is no longer small? It's why I really dislike using the term small business, because it's great and it helps identify a market. But at the same time, if you're scaling, are you still a small business? Like, what's the cutoff point of no longer being a small business and turning into something like... And we only ever talk about small and big businesses. We don't talk about mid, like the middle. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I know the government segments for it. And I think, uh, you know, you get a, a small business up to 50 staff or something and then a small medium to 250 staff or, or, or something it used to be, but it was categorised very much by staffing numbers numbers you know but I don't know whether that still applies because of course we've seen so much changes changing since then you know businesses and uh you know so much subcontracting and it strikes me that somebody should have had a rethink whether they have or not I'm not quite sure well I think that that's fun though isn't it I mean it's for us to define ourselves what we want to be classed as so which is quite an empowering way bringing it back around to scaling so we've covered quite a bit around the mistakes that we've made when scaling which generally seems to come down to not being clear on where you're going and not planning together so nice and helpful nice and simple it's nice to be able to kind of summarize them but let's dig in a little bit into the actual planning to scale phase for different different I want to say ages of business but that's not that's not actually accurate like different starting points in business so we were talking earlier and you mentioned how it can be quite difficult to unpick a business and rebuild it in a way that is planning for that future scale but it is possible it just takes a lot of uh, a lot of hard thinking and a lot of work so let's start the potentially the easiest one 
practically, but maybe the hardest one from a mindset point of view, which is when you're in that early startup phase, how would you recommend they approach planning and scaling when they are literally at that point where it's like pre or early startup? Sure. I think, right, let's take it step by step. First, they should get really clear in their minds how far they want to go and on what time scale. Because I think all planning is best done sort of in reverse, working backwards. Uh, you know, so if you come up with your ideal, I want life to look at like this, my business to be here in years, you know, then it gives you a very good guide where it's going to likely want to hit in five years and so on and so forth. And then you can start translating that into all the practicals. You can look at, well, you know, to achieve that, what turnover would I need? Assuming you, you were talking in terms of profit, of course. But if, uh, you know, you're talking in terms of turnover, what would I need to achieve that turnover? How many people would I need? At what point would I need in other management to manage those people, which is going to mean more turnover to pay good management or, or partners or whatever, just depending on which way you decide to go. And all those things need to be mapped out on a, in the future sort of monthly basis, but then, you know, six monthly, then biannually, but with a very clear roadmap, as, which, yes, it will get altered. And no, don't go crazy. Don't write a plastic great manual. You'll never take out of a cupboard. But, you know, you want a clear picture of what that's going to look like because you can start to plan all those necessary aspects like recruitment, like financing. Good financing should never be done at the last minute. You need to plan to get it. Oh, I totally agree with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely agree with that. Honestly, earlier this year, after being in business for nearly four years, I read Profit Fast and it literally changed the way that I handled the finances in my business. And whatever it is for you, it doesn't have to be that book. It could be anything else, but whatever it is for you, when you find your rhythm with your finances, it takes so much pressure off of it. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think that good financial management is absolutely essential, or at least understanding is essential to be able to grow because otherwise you've got no idea how well you're doing. No, that's right. Yeah, and I think that's a very good point. I think it, it, it saddens me when I hear so many entrepreneurs say, oh, my country does all that. Ah! And learn your figures. You've got to be able to read your own balance sheet and do your own planning. It'll give you so much more control. You know, not every accountant is, is that good. And they're never going to know your business as well as you. I was, I mean, I, uh, it was still O-levels back in my day, and I failed my maths O-levels. I did go back and retake it actually and get it in the end. But I mean, you know, we were we were girls, we didn't need maths. And that's probably, you know, what the thinking was back then. But you know, when it came to running a business, somebody taught me how to do a cash flow forecast in a in a manual way, you know, and uh, something I never thought I'd do. But you know, from that moment out, I thought this is just patterns. You know, you don't have to be good at maths. You can use a calculator, you know, you're just looking at you know, I want a 10,000 turnover now. So in half, you know, or, or next week, so next year, even, sorry. Um, you know, so if I want 10,000 now, you know, that probably means halfway time, I need 5,000. 
you know, it's not subtle, subtle stuff. You can you can do it without being clever at maths, but please, please, please learn to understand your own balance sheets and cash flow forecast. So could you just repeat that last bit? Learn how to understand balance sheets and cash flow forecast. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you work with with an accountant so that they're doing it but showing you and talking you through it, which is what I do with my accountant because I'm still learning. And I I have this thing that I want to make sure that I'm getting it right. So it's quite nice to have someone else there with me whilst I'm doing it. Okay, cool. So this is all wonderful and big advice. I think my challenge back to you, Jan, if you will, is that if you're in the real early stage of business, there's definitely, from my experience and from my experience with my clients who like when I have worked with clients in the early, early stages, scaling feels so far away and everything feels so big that it's really hard to know where to start. Because when you are starting out, it might be a side hustle. It might just be, I just want to see how this goes. I don't know how this is going to develop, which is exactly how I started my business. It was never going to be a business that never occurred to me. So I didn't have all of that stuff in place, but it would have been helpful to have something to work towards even if I didn't know where the business was going to go so if you could boil it down to like one thing that they could do as a startup that would prepare them to start for scaling in the future is there something that you would recommend they learn first I mean obviously the balance sheets and the the forecasting but what would be your advice for someone who is just like I don't know where this is going in the future I have no idea how big or small this is going to be how do I plan to scale use every possible moment you can to learn everything you can about your market because for one thing as 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 you all know so well that unless your market's got the scope to provide you with the work to scale save your time you know if that's for startup always is, is you need to become an expert in your marketplace on what works, what doesn't, what your customers' pain points are, and, you know, learn to develop all that side of things because otherwise you can be the most brilliant startup expert in the world, but you're not going to get it off the ground. Yeah, I think that that's an excellent point, actually, that if you're not quite sure where you want your business to go, as long as you're familiar with where the market is going, it will give you that that kind of head start when you do decide to snap into oh okay this is now a business I'm a business owner now who knew rather than kind of the side hustle side <laughs> it's happened awesome so when it comes to an established business who's not considered scaling before um and this is something again that I can relate to because I've been through all of this <laughs> where you're sat there and you're going you know what my business is going reasonably well. I know it can do more. I want it to do more. I've not considered scaling in the past. And I'm still at that stage where it's like, I'm interested in knowing more about scaling, but I don't know how to kind of start approaching it. What would you recommend to them? I would say, firstly, check your, go back and check your market. Is there, how much room is there for growth? You know, doing what you're doing already, your customers going to be buying more from you are you going to find new and similar customers or you have to come up with whole different offerings that are going to increase your turnover you want to get an idea of what scope there is for growth again you know before you scoop before you scale it you've got to got to start there because otherwise you're going to break your heart and waste time and money and tears yeah yeah absolutely i agree with that completely and it can be really tough to 
have that subjective and objective look at where you are in your business, particularly if you're in a market that has, uh, I'll, I'll use the market that I was in, which is as a brand designer and working in branding, it became ever more challenging, not just because there are new and fresh creatives coming out all of the time, but there's also that development of programs and software like Canva that now make it easier for others to actually do their own brand, I say cautiously, tentatively, their own branding, um, their own design work to a certain degree. So as a, as a part of that market and your customers are looking for solutions, how does your solution match up? Is this going to be challenging? Do you need to look at maybe potentially finding a niche to focus on? Niches aren't for everyone. They are very helpful but they're not for everyone, but it is something to consider. Yeah, I think the market point is is really important and it's not something that I'd actually associated with scaling before. So yeah, you've definitely given me a bit of food for thought. <laughs> I think one of the best places to start is by drawing yourself up a little survey of uh, or a sheet of what you think your best points are, your best selling points about your business and your worst, your weaknesses. Like a SWOT analysis. Yeah, if you like, but putting it into colloquial terms and you'll see where I'm going with this in a second. And then, um, you know, can put that together. Think of your maybe three top competitors. Go to some of your clients, maybe 10, 20 of them to give you a, a good idea and say, would you mind scoring me on and tell you you know, how you think we do against these competitors, you know, which are, which do you see me as weak and which do you see me as strong as and them as strong and them as weak? Because, you know, don't show them your scores because that will often tell you really interesting stuff about, firstly, you may well be wrong about what they think you're wonderful at. Quite often, you, it's surprising how many odd things can turn that turn up. But it also shows you where the gaps are with your competitors. They're doing something worse or, or weak, weakly, shall we say, in your... Or overlooked completely. Opportunity, you know, wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And if listeners, you want to hear more about um, competitor analysis and that kind of thing, I'm going to do a shameless plug here and say <laughs> you can listen to episode 31 because Sherelle and I dove right into how to perform competitive analysis without the emotional attachment to it because assessing your competitors can be quite quite an emotional experience. It can be quite challenging. There can be a lot of comparison that comes up. So yeah, absolutely. I think that identifying your market opportunities, your strengths and weaknesses and the same for your competitors. And if you want to find a way of doing that, that doesn't leave you crying in the corner for whatever reason, definitely have a listen to episode 31. There's a very practical exercise that you can do from that. Um, I think the other thing that I'd love to talk about when it comes to scaling, mainly kind of at those businesses that are already established and looking to scale would be like we've talked about reviewing your finances we've talked about reviewing your market but I'd also suggest looking at your systems and processes because I have found that to in order to give myself the space that I need and a little bit of extra time back because time is my freedom obviously I want to make a lot of money as well but time <laughs> is the reason time is the thing that helps me do that by working with someone to help automate and look at my processes, 
that means that I've gained a bit of time back with every single client that I work with, which means that that kind of accumulates. So when it comes to scaling, are there particular systems and processes that you would recommend looking at as a priority to help you with that future focus? Interesting. I think it's business dependent think, or sector dependent, should I say. You know, with some some businesses need different ones. I mean, for example, if you're manufacturing, you need a how-to guide for each piece, you know, but you wouldn't need that for um, a design industry necessarily. But, you know, it's looking at anything that your business does from the point the customer gets in contact or, or, or gets you're in touch with the customer is what I'm trying to say, actually, because right back to market. Looking at that flow of how does the contact with the customer end up with a referral at the end from whole complete circle and thinking what systems are in place on that circle, what can be duplicated, you know, what can should be written down and where does that impact to make it easier. Um, so I think that's a really important one. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And actually, what you were saying about how-to guides is really important as well, because I feel like whatever your business is, you could have how-to guides for everything. You can have a how-to onboard a client. You can have a how-to, how you choose, write and schedule your content, because if you have all of that in place, when you're ready to scale, which is what we were talking about right at the beginning, being set up for when that success happens, Having those how-to guys that you can then hand over to your outsource, your employee, whoever it is you've got coming in, means that you have to do less of the admin and onboarding for those people who are coming in to help because that's the other barrier, I think, that we haven't even touched on. People. People, right? (laughs) Not only finding the right people, which is an episode that I have coming up, but also One of the challenges I had, and I'd love to hear your take on this, was I was always like, I don't want to have anyone else coming into my business because it will take me too long to show them how I do things. (laughs) So what would you say to someone who's in that position where it's like, I'm ready to scale, but I do not have the time to train someone? I think there's two things going on there. I think it's a really good point. I think, firstly, that comes down to your systems for a certain amount. You can systemize depending on the job. Having a good job manual is going to save you a lot of time. Having good inboarding processes, which for anybody who doesn't, who's listening, who doesn't have one, means a, a process of settling your new team member into your team and getting used to the company. That can not only save you masses of time, but it can have a huge impact on your staff retention. So all those things about getting them settled in and getting them to know the job, you can systemize to some extent. But also, I think it's very key. We're going back to the planning here. Higher up in your hierarchy that somebody is going to come in at, not talking about promotions from inside because then they've got time to digest and mature, if you like, a fine bottle of wine, obviously. But bringing somebody in at a high level, it's going to take them much, much longer to know anything close to what you know about your business. But on the other hand, you're almost saying, but I need somebody else who performs at my level. So the only answer to that is to build into your plans build into your cash flow planning, 
building somebody in with maybe anything up to a six-month runway if they're going to be at your sort of level of getting to know something about your business to, to be able to be at your level. Could you just, can we just jargon bust that a little bit for a second? What do you, what do you mean by a six-month runway? It takes them six months early. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Don't expect them to perform, um, you know, from day one. That's a terrible, you know, if you drift into scaling, and I know it, you know, you take somebody on in desperation, which means that your hiring isn't very good, and then you expect them to perform from day one because they've got to. I mean, we're, you know, we're all so busy. And, you know, well, things they can't, you know, particularly at that higher level because they haven't got your knowledge. Of course they haven't. They haven't been in business a year, two years, ten years. You know, you've got to give them the time, and that means taking them on too early. But it does mean you can recruit slowly and not have recruiting errors because they do so much harm. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there's a certain um, hangover from the corporate world and the way that they employ that a lot of, I would say, a lot of entrepreneurs, they kind of dabble with similar things when it comes to things like, oh, you have to be able to hit the ground running. It's like, well, what does that even mean? Do you want someone to come in and immediately know everything about your business? I mean, yeah, it would be ideal, but if you employ someone and all of a sudden they know everything, you're kind of like, is my business really generic? Like, is there something that's slightly yeah. in here? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, there's some some jobs are fairly generic and absolutely you know, social media, if they've got a good feel, particularly from your onboarding and your recruitment process of your culture then the chances are they can pick it up pretty fast. But, you know, something, again, you know, it comes back to that management level, for us, for example. You just can't. And in fairness to the corporate world, even the corporate world wouldn't expect, you know, a, a member of a board member to function from day one with full knowledge, however systemized they were. But, but no, I think, you know, you're also talking about, uh, I've got to let go of my baby. Yeah, that's it. There's a lot of control that comes in with this. And something that you've touched on a couple of times there that I'd be curious, I know that this is going to be a bigger question, but I mean, that's kind of the point of these kind of episodes is to give a lot of different tidbits of information because something's going to help someone. If you're looking for a very specific plan on how you as an individual can scale your very particular business, that's kind of that you, you've got to start somewhere. So like, sure. have a look at some of the stuff that we've talked about today. But when we are looking at scaling and we are looking at getting our first employee, I've seen it happen both ways. And I'd be curious to hear your take on it. I've seen people who have employed someone to help with the and I mean no offense by this but like the grunt work like the the grinding stuff the day-to-day is probably the better way of putting it the day-to-day work to help ease up the time of the business owner but equally I've seen people who have hired like high-level OBMs so online business managers that kind of come in at a much higher level that is much closer to you as a business owner to not only help with the day-to-day, but to do more of the facilitating of the bigger stuff that's happening. So would you have a recommendation on which would fit a business better or if there's if 
from your experience, if you've seen it work one way better than the other? I think it does depend on you and your sector and what you do. Yeah. I would question bringing uh, some management level in at the beginning, unless as a partner. You know, if you really need somebody at your level, then you probably need two of you to run that business. I'm not sure, you know, it's a staff, it should be a staffing requirement saying it's that early. Um, and, and indeed with, and I can't think of a right way to put it apart from your phrase, uh, day-to-day work, that was it, wasn't it? Day-to-day. <laughs> day-to-day work. You know, we're so blessed. One of the few good things that's come out of the pandemic is, is the, with the hybrid working and the connection globally. You know, we've got access to amazing remote talent. And, you know, there's just so much that uh, people can do to form and resources, be it a VA in the Philippines or, uh, you know, for example, or quick take some of your website updates off you or whatever, you know, at very low cost without necessarily getting the whole headache of taking on a, a member of staff perhaps too quickly because, you know, it is, there's a lot of obligations, so a lot of legalities and a lot of expense and a lot of responsibility. So, you know, it's not something to rush into either way. Yeah, absolutely. And episode, <laughs> I'm plugging again, episode 41. <laughs> I don't usually do this. It's really interesting, but I feel like this conversation has brought up a lot of, it, it's such a big conversation and it's much bigger than I kind of naively expected it to be. But when I was writing the notes for this, I was like, oh, these are going to be, big chunky conversations that we need to have but episode 41 we talked with crystal about outsourcing for scaling um specifically to scale and i think that kind of combining the research yeah actually thinking about it sorry i think as i talk i can't do it any other way (laughs) thinking about it and talking it through to find my answer There feels like there are definitely four different stages when it's coming to scaling and planning. Four different stages for the planning, which is really interesting. So the first one would be the goal setting stage that we talked about right at the beginning. It's like, where are you going? Why do you want to scale? What is this right for you? All of those big questions that only you can answer, although it might help have someone to ask them to you and challenge you. Just because I feel like if you have someone challenging what you're saying, it often helps you get deeper into what your actual answers are rather than just going for more holidays or whatever it is. <laughs> I think it can. I think it can. I think uh, I have very bad experiences of people leaving on and wanting to coach me and did a lot of harm rather than good. So I think it's, a, it's an individual thing, but it can be a huge help. Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's just a friend. Yeah. Even if it's just a friend saying, this is the question, like, why are you doing this? And then kind of digging a level deeper. So yeah, the stage one seems like it's the goal setting stage. The second stage is the research phase. So researching your market, researching your own business to see what you're currently doing, where you could streamline, where you could automate, where you would benefit from having someone to support you. So that research section, then it's kind of twofold. I would say the first step would be 
trial it maybe by outsourcing the work first and see how that feels? Yeah, that's. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's one of the great things about outsourcing is you can cut, cut your losses and change your mind in a way that you could, can't with hiring people. Yeah, absolutely. And then from there, that should give you a good sense of with all of that combined, by the power combined, you can potentially identify what roles would support you with scaling for what purpose and know how that fits in with your bigger business absolutely because when you're looking at nailed it you know when you're looking at your you know I'm going to be a millionaire in you know five years and a billionaire in 10 you know you that's going to come down to how many people doing what jobs when you know again people do pull it off another entrepreneur I spoke to in my book said you know that they raised I can't remember how much it was 100,000 or something from the bank that meant he went back to his new offices and looked around and started thinking what's that going to look like in terms of people and you know I'm thinking oh wow you know you got away with that that's back to front but people do you know but it, it it's, it's living game yeah yeah absolutely oh my goodness I wish we had so much more time on this because I feel like there are so many different aspects to scaling maybe I need to do another episode around the mindset of scaling as well because I think the way that we think about our business is going to have a massive impact Huge. so if I've covered outsourcing we've talked a lot around recruitment and the actual planning phase which I think is essential and then potentially how to approach it from a mindset point of view. Because for a long time, exactly what you were saying earlier, Jan, a lot of it comes down to not wanting to relinquish control on my business, which meant that literally I was getting in the way of myself being able to scale my business to fit my goals. It's, yeah. Completely human, completely normal. Yeah. <laughs> And probably something that you cover quite a lot in your book as well. So definitely. <laughs> Perfect. So let's wrap it up here for today. And then we'll see what comes back from this episode from the listeners. And then potentially we can revisit this topic again in the future and dig in a little bit deeper. That would be wonderful. So I know that this is a massive question, but if we could everything that we've discussed today and all of your expertise and experience when it comes to planning to scale your business what would be the one key piece of advice you'd want the listeners to take action on be crystal clear of what you want out of it spend more time on that than maybe anything yeah absolutely absolutely having that crystal clear vision of where you're going and why you're doing it will help you not only plan for the best eventualities, but also kind of help you get through those times when it's a little bit rocky. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so, so much for your time today, Jan. Where can the listeners find more of you online? They can find me at uh, the usual W's at jancavell.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you. And I will be popping all of the links in the show notes, including the link to your book. So if the listeners want to read more about successes and stories of other people who have scaled to success, then absolutely they can hop on into the show notes, find that link and grab a copy of your book. Thank you again, Jan. It's been an absolute delight. And listeners will be back here on Thursday where Jan will be sharing her business journey with us so far in her brand story episode. So until then, I would love to know how you feel about planning and scaling within your business and what kind of stage you're at when it comes to approaching it. Join in the conversation in our communities over on Instagram. And as always, links in the show notes and I will see you in the brand lounge.